Hi, I'm Christopher Ward, and welcome to Whatever It Takes, the podcast, an introduction to the audiobook version of Stephen Stone's memoir, a book that he describes as life lessons from Degrassi and elsewhere in the world of music and television. And if you like the podcast, maybe tell your friends. Maybe buy the full Whatever It Takes book, which is available in print, ebook, and audiobook formats at your favorite bookstore or digital platform. It was truly my pleasure helping my friend of over half a century chronicle his amazing life. Starting here, we're launching a limited podcast series of eight episodes to give you a sneak peek at a book that travels widely in those worlds of music and television. And there are some stories. Here's the man who lived those stories, my friend, the author of Whatever It Takes, Stephen Stone, to get the podcast underway. Well, thank you, Christopher. Uh, And this first podcast is being released on September 13th, ish here in 2022 (laughs) and there's a story behind that kevin smith is more than just a great filmmaker and talented comedian and podcaster he is a genuinely good and humble man and he's a huge degrassi fan right a few years back kevin had a heart attack and he let everyone on social media know that as he was being wheeled into the operating room to keep his spirits up he began singing Whatever it takes, I know I can make it through the Degrassi theme song, written by me and a couple of friends back in 2001. And, of course, that's why our book is entitled Whatever It Takes. Well, Kevin's new feature film, Clerks 3, is being released in theaters on this very date, September 13th. And in a pivotal scene of the movie, a key character has a heart attack. And as they are being wheeled into the operating room to keep their spirits up, they sing. Well, you can guess what happens then. Uh Now, there's lots of other different stories in our book. Stories about Degrassi and other TV shows and films. Stories about music and musicians. Some personal stories of adventures that are pretty cool. And throughout, there's some hidden themes about goals and authenticity and the meaning of success and failure. But for today's podcast, we wanted to start with a world that I've inhabited for over 40 years, the world of Degrassi, the iconic television series that was created by my wife, Linda Schuyler, back in the late 1970s. Our book includes many memorable Degrassi stories, and readers will have their own favorites. But I'd like to highlight one that had a powerful impact on all our creative team and performers, as well as the Degrassi viewers. The episode called Time Stand Still is chapter 21 of the book, and here's an excerpt from that chapter. You know from the Cowboy Junkies chapter that in everyday life I'm a big fan of writing down your goals, refining them to ensure they are authentic, and then allowing your subconscious mind to conspire with the universe to manifest those goals into reality. In some ways, producing a television episode is a lot like that. The Degrassi writing process starts in the writer's room, a big square room with a large round table in the middle. The key difference between this and any other production room is that three of the walls are covered with large whiteboards, containing handwritten and color-coded story points that the writers are contemplating for each episode of the season. Because of this, we keep the room confidential and off-limits. 
Here in the writer's room, the storylines are debated and honed, not just for each specific episode, but also for story arcs that cover many episodes, and in some cases, entire seasons. It was here that the idea for the iconic episode, Time Stand Still, first arose. The year was 2004, and brainstorming was taking place for potential storylines for season four of Degrassi. Aaron Martin was the head writer. Aaron, when I was in a small town high school back in the 80s, there was a shooting at a party, and it always stuck with me because one really good friend of mine and another guy I knew both ended up dying. That's something, obviously, that you never forget. The other writers and I were talking about how different it was, that back in the 80s when something like this happened, it was violence on yourself or your close people versus the broader type of school shootings that started happening. The culture had become more violent, with more peer pressure and bullying, and we started seeing that in the schools. So we really wanted to explore what would happen with a kid in school who's pushed to the edge to the point where he sees the only way out as being extreme violence. One of the rules we try to follow in Degrassi is to have the big events happen to main, ongoing characters. We don't bring in a new character for a few episodes to become pregnant or commit suicide or become addicted to cocaine. If these events are going to happen, they are going to happen to one of our leads. But for a story about a school shooting, it would not be believable to have one of our leads suddenly jump out of character and become a shooter. We would have to make an exception to the rule. Therefore, the first problem Aaron faced was deciding who would be the shooter. He immediately thought of the character Rick Murray, who in the previous season had been in a jealous, abusive relationship with his girlfriend, Terry McGregor a relationship that ended with Rick in a rage, pushing Terry to the ground, where she accidentally hit her head on a cinder block. Rick had been immediately expelled from Degrassi and had not returned. Aaron mused, what if he did return in season four, after serving the term of his expulsion? He might well be someone who could get pushed to and over the edge. Before proceeding further, Aaron approached Linda and me with his idea. We were immediately supportive. It was a vitally important issue to address and an extremely difficult story to tell well and responsibly. But in many ways, it was the ultimate story about the devastating impact that bullying can have. We proceeded to find out if Ephraim Ellis, who played the Rick Murray character, would be available for season four. He was. Ephraim. In the previous season, I was brought in as an abusive boyfriend character, like a stealth abusive boyfriend, because he's the guy you'd least expect, kind of a shy dork. That storyline ended after three episodes when I ran off. I thought that was the end of my entire character on the show. And then eight or nine months later, I got a call saying they wanted me to do some more episodes the next season. And I said to myself, well, sure, but my story's over. I don't really see what else I could be doing. And then they pitched me the Time Stand Still arc, which had me coming back to the school and trying to reintegrate myself into society, but everybody hating me and it becoming this cycle of violence. I kind of knew immediately as they were pitching it where it was going. Linda said they'd wanted to do a school shooting episode for a while because those kinds of events are such big, important events in the news and in history, but they hadn't really figured out an organic, character-driven way to do it before. 
That year, when they'd been pitching stories around the writer's room, they remembered my character, and they thought, maybe that would work. Aaron worked with the entire team of writers to come up with a general story arc. It would start in the first episode of season four with Rick's return to school and end eight episodes later with the shooting. Brendan York was tapped to write the two-part episode that culminated with the shooting and veteran Stephen Skaney set to direct the episode. It was not yet decided whether the shooting would result in any deaths. At this point, the writers were mostly focused on making Rick's descent into despair not just believable, but also, if possible, somewhat sympathetic. Aaron, we weren't trying to sensationalize it. We were trying to tell the story in a realistic and humane way so that the shooter wasn't evil. He was just a kid who was so pushed to the edge that he mistakenly thought that his only way out was to unleash violence on people. Brendan. Rick was brought on as a villain, but what Degrassi does so well is that you get those scenes like him trying on his dad's suit to help the viewer understand where this kid is coming from, even though he's doing bad things. It's not like people are bad or good. We tried to show that everyone can be both, and it's the choices you make that really define you. We were very concerned that a story so emotional still be authentic and that all the surrounding events be grounded in real-life experience, not just the imaginations of our writers. We brought in an outside expert, in this case, Barbara Coloroso, an internationally recognized speaker and consultant on bullying, grieving, nonviolent conflict resolution, and restorative justice. Barbara lived in Littleton, Colorado, where the Columbine school shooting tragedy had unfolded, and her book, the Bully, the Bullied, and the Bystander had been published just two years after that tragedy. Steve Skaney, when we set out to do this episode, Stephen was very instrumental in insisting we bring in a consultant. So we flew in Barbara Coloroso, and she acted as a guide and a mentor and someone to help us focus on what the facts were and what we need to say as responsible filmmakers and storytellers in presenting a story like this. Barbara was very helpful for me as the director to understand what was going through these people's hearts and souls leading up to the shooting, at the shooting, and in the days and weeks and months following it. Aaron, She did a bullying seminar with us so that we could do the school shooting episode in a way that was responsible. She told us about the wide range of factors that go into this kind of bullying. Not just the bully and the victim, but the whole circle surrounding both sides that fosters a sick relationship that ends in an explosion of violence. Over two days, we talk through all the different aspects of bullying and victims and people who stand by and encourage it, people who stand by and don't say anything. We tried to make sure that we had characters representing each one of those subsets within the show. The writers were now in a position to shape the entire story arc. Season four would begin with Rick's return to Degrassi and a protest against his return led by Emma and Paige. This would lead to Rick being beaten up by Jay. Emma would witness the beating and realize that the protest against Rick had gone too far. The bully had become the bullied. In this way, the writers set up a dynamic in which, over the course of the eight episodes, almost all the main characters could interact with Rick, and their attitudes toward him could shift with some of them becoming sympathetic to Rick's plight. This would also allow the audience to become at least 
partially sympathetic. Rick would misinterpret Emma's new support for him, and he would develop an unrequited crush on her. Another character, Jimmy, would also discover that Rick was doing his best to fit in and would become supportive. Ironically, these two would become Rick's intended victims when he reached his breaking point. The stage would then be set for the time-standstill two-part episode itself. In that episode, Rick would be part of the Degrassi team in a whack-your-brain competition. Rick would correctly answer the tie-breaking question, winning it all for Degrassi and seemingly integrating him back into the school's favor. But at that moment, a prank by Spinner and Jay would cover Rick in yellow paint and feathers in front of everyone. His moment of triumph would become a moment of utter humiliation. Against this backdrop, Principal Radich would emblemize the do-nothing bystander, a school administrator who chose to disregard the caustic atmosphere that was slowly but surely enveloping Degrassi. Further, Spinner would have a fight with his best friend, Jimmy, over the treatment of Rick, and in a moment of spite, would make Rick believe falsely that Jimmy had been the mastermind behind the entire yellow sliming. Aaron, there was Emma who played a role. Jimmy, who was actually supportive of Rick, but who ended up because of Spinner's stupid prank being Rick's victim. In those episodes, Spinner is just as much of a bad guy as Rick is because his actions actually lead to Jimmy being shot. Brendan. Another thing that's interesting about this episode, and the arc in general, is that Linda was okay with our heroes, a couple of the leads, Jimmy and Spinner, and Sean to an extent, being in effect bullies themselves against this abusive boyfriend. There were several episodes that led up to the school shooting where Rick was increasingly isolated, ultimately becoming pranked by being covered with yellow slime just as he was triumphing at a quiz show. There was a lot of build-up and preparation. Everybody was in a place you could understand emotionally, and it wasn't just sensational. We understood why Rick was doing it, even though it was a terrible thing to do. And we understood why the other kids around him were feeling the way they did about him. Up until the day of the read-through for Time Stands Still, there was still debate going on about the actual outcome. We knew that Rick would confront Jimmy and shoot him, but how serious would the injury be? We knew he would also confront Emma, leading to a struggle for the gun between Sean and Rick. But would either of them die? We agonized over these decisions. I think in our hearts, we always knew there would have to be tragic consequences. We had to be authentic to what happens in real life. Still, we had many conversations internally and with our broadcasters until the decision was finally made. Rick would die in the struggle and Jimmy would end up paralyzed and in a wheelchair for life, his dreams of being a basketball star forever shattered. As we approached the read-through, none of the actors knew in advance what they would be reading, with two exceptions, Ephraim and Aubrey. Aaron, that read-through was weird. It was our darkest episode. We prepped our two main actors. I remember pulling in Aubrey and saying, good news, bad news. The good news is we've got an amazing storyline. The bad news is we're going to end up making your character paralyzed. And he was totally up for it and excited by it. Steve Skaney. Linda and Steven were always great about keeping the storylines from the cast so they didn't know what was coming. 
Linda used to conduct it almost like an exam. The scripts were always face down on the table in front of each actor. The cast, cleverly, always tried to look through the back page to see who had the last line, because whoever gets the last line will usually tend to be the A plot of the episode. When they turned the time stand still script over to start the read-through, none of them, other than Aubrey and Ephraim, had any idea what was coming. By the end of it, the cast was devastated. They were in tears. In the process of the read-through, they had lived the story. I was moved. During the read-throughs, I watch the actors. I don't look at the page. I want to see how they are interpreting the lines and which direction they're taking in case I have to make adjustments. As they were reading the lines, you could see the tears welling in their eyes, but they continued. They were brave, they were fearless, and they didn't stop. They kept reading with commitment. I think it was the strongest read-through I'd ever attended. A lot of times you get to the end of a read-through and everybody's been fooling around and there's a certain levity. But for this one, everyone was riveted. They were focused. Their performance level was as if the cameras were rolling. At the end of the read-through, I remember looking over at Linda and thinking, oh my God, this is going to be quite the ride. A few weeks later, we filmed the episode. Yes, in those days, we still shot on film. There's always a lot of preparation for any episode, but as you would expect, this one required much more. Steve Skaney. From a visual standpoint, I did not want to make it sensational. I did not want to turn it into action-adventure. I wanted to tell it from a very raw, and at times, I won't say documentary, but in a way that feels a little more experiential, like we were in the moment rather than observing it from afar, putting ourselves in it. That's something that Stephen and Linda are wonderful about. They said from day one with Degrassi, we see it through the kid's eyes. Even the angle of the camera has to be from the kid's eyes. We're never observing it as third party. We're witnessing it from their perspective. And this one, more than ever, I wanted to make sure that we got that. Aaron. The weirdest thing was being on set when there was a gun on Degrassi. That was just creepy. Everyone's emotions were higher, and the director, Steve Skaney, was on edge because it just felt wrong. Then when we saw it edited, it turned out to be so amazing. Steve Skaney. It was something I talked with Aubrey quite a bit about, how he was going to react and how we played off Mike Lobel, who played Jay, because a lot of the shooting is witnessed through Jay's eyes. I said to everyone, we're not doing a heroic death. We're doing a very ugly, Awful, awful moment here. There's no heroism here, no glamour. This had to have rawness to it, and the lead-up to it had to be very unexpected. Aaron. Rick could have been a one-dimensional psychopath, but he wasn't. He was a screwed-up kid, and Ephraim is such a good actor that he pulled it off. Time Stands Still is an iconic episode, not only because of its difficult subject matter, but also because of its embodiment of core Degrassi principles, that nothing is black or white, that it is not always clear what is right or wrong, and that we are all empowered to make choices. But every choice has a consequence. And the consequences are not just events that unravel in the short run. They can reverberate throughout a lifetime. Brendan, the most terrifying thing, and we did it later when JT got killed outside of a party that went bad, is writing the next episode, the aftermath. You don't want it to be a real downer. It has to be entertaining. And at the same time, a major thing happened, and you can't ignore it. Aaron. 
We made sure that we followed through with all the characters who were impacted by it. We followed, of course, Jimmy's storyline, which kept going for seasons because he was in a wheelchair no matter what. That took his character, who was the fun-loving jock, and made him into something more than that in the seasons after that. Within that season, Jimmy had to physically heal himself, and after that he had to emotionally heal himself. Emma went down a very dark road. She ended up traumatized with PTSD, basically, and it manifested itself by her becoming promiscuous and self-destructive. And Sean, his character ended up leaving the school because he just couldn't deal with it. Spinner had to come to terms with what his actions did to his best friend, who was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. There were a host of other impacts woven into scripts for subsequent episodes. One seemingly small one deserves special mention, the removal of Principal Radich as principal. It arose out of a conviction that Barbara Coloroso had stressed over and over in our meetings with her, that there are no innocent bystanders, and that failing to acknowledge bullying for what it is, or to simply dismiss it, is to be complicit in the bullying. She was particularly critical of the aftermath of the Columbine tragedy, where she felt there should have been an entire change in the school administration to recognize its role in an environment where bullying was ignored. In the fictional world of Degrassi, at least, we made that change. I don't normally get involved in the editing of an episode. That's Linda's domain. Her favorite parts of producing an episode are working with the writers and working with the editors. To her, they are very similar processes. She calls the edit the final draft of the script. In the case of Time Stand Still, though, Linda called me into the editing room because the final scenes weren't having the impact she wanted. The script called for various pieces of dialogue as different characters reacted to the tragedy. But as we sat in the editing suite, the words just weren't cutting through the way they had been intended. I had a suggestion. By coincidence, I had recently heard tracks from a new and as yet unreleased album from Canadian indie artist Melissa McClelland. There was a very slow and melancholy track on the album called Rooftops that musically and lyrically conveyed deep feelings of emptiness and aloneness. One of the core themes of Degrassi is you are not alone. You may think that whatever you are experiencing or feeling is unique to you, but be reassured that there are others who experience and feel what you do, and there are yet others who can support you. You are not alone. But Rick Murray felt utterly alone. And in reacting to the shooting tragedy, we as the audience also couldn't help but feel the emptiness of being alone. I suggested we remove all the dialogue and just feature the faces of the characters reacting to the tragedy while playing the rooftops track. We tried it, and we were all in tears as the song and the episode ended, and that was how the final scenes remained. It wasn't exactly the ending Aaron and the writers had in mind when they began it all months earlier, yet everyone had done their jobs perfectly and the episode had turned out even better than we ever could have hoped. The roof slips beneath my feet as the branches back away from me. The softest grass turns to concrete, but I will fly. I will fly. You will see. Because I am playing God. I am raising hell. 
as far as I can tell, I am all alone, alone in this world. This concludes this episode of Whatever It Takes, the podcast, which has been produced by Elizabeth Baird and featured Stephen Stone, along with yours truly, Christopher Ward. If you enjoyed the podcast, you might like to tell your friends and perhaps buy the full Whatever It Takes book, which is available in print, ebook, and audiobook formats at your favorite bookstore or digital platform. We'll be back with a new episode next week.